Every minute, every moment counts. Hello, I'm Julie Hyde, and I understand what it takes to make these moments count for leadership, business, and your life. This podcast will deliver insights and game-changing leadership moments that will allow you to level up and shine a light for those around you. Let's get into today's episode. With me today is Lison Mage. Lison is an author, a corporate facilitator, performance and mindset coach. She grew up in the south of France. She moved to Shanghai for three years and is an ex-engineer now specializing in helping people to stop overthinking and has written her new book, Act Before You Overthink. And she also helps people to foster a growth mindset. So welcome, Lison. Thank you, Julie. It's an honor to be here with you and your listener. Thank you. And Lison, I'm really keen to jump into our chat today because overthinking is something that a lot of people do. So I know that people are going to be really keen to tune into this one. But first, can you share with our listeners how you make it count in your world? Thank you, Julie. And I love this question. How I make it count in my world is by being curious and audacious. Mm, I love that. So tell me more. Yes. So it all started when I was a little girl. My teacher did an experiment in front of the whole classroom and she was holding a battery and a little light bulb. And as she connected them, the light bulb started shining. I was, wow, what's happening here? (laughs) I was quite amazed, you know, at the time. And so I went into university to get a master's degree in IT and electronics, thinking that five years later, I would be an engineer. By the time of the graduation, I knew engineering was not something I wanted to pursue. I wanted to do something else somewhere else. So I left France and expatriated in China, as you mentioned, in Shanghai. I loved my time there. I was exposed to a new culture, new ways of thinking, understanding, a new pace of life. I also had the opportunity to travel in different countries in Southeast Asia. And that enriched my life so much. Mm. But I felt something was not right. And so I expatriated a second time to Australia. I loved it so much that I decided to apply for the citizenship and I get it. So now I can tell I'm a dual citizen, I'm French, and I am an Aussie. So when I arrived in Australia, I worked for some of the largest IT companies in the world, like Oracle and Salesforce as a sales, but I felt odd. And I felt I needed something different because honestly, I was not happy there. And so I challenged myself once more and started my own coaching practice. And I realized that to find what fulfilled us, we have to be willing to experience new things. We have to be curious. Curiosity is essential. We also have to be audacious. (laughs) because curiosity itself is not enough. We also need audacity. 
And this is how I make it count, you know, by helping others to be curious and also audacious. Because as you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I see so many, many people paralyzed by their thoughts, by their fears, anxiety, the doubt about themselves. And I see that again and again. And I am not okay with that. It's too easy to forget to be curious. And so we remain in our comfort zone. We don't have the audacity to step outside mm-hmm. and get into our growth zone. So what really matters to me is helping people get unstuck and take decisive action, helping people achieve what's meaningful for them. And because I learn from my experience, that's how we can find what brings us joy. And that's how we can grow as you know an individual to become the best version of ourselves. And it is a never-ending journey. Yeah, I love that. I love that, Lissota. Thank you for sharing. But I love how you listen listen to your intuition. You knew something wasn't right. So, you know, wow, talk about stuff out of your comfort zone and let's move to a completely new culture, new country, being Shanghai. And they're coming to Australia as well. I love that your openness to experience new things. And I think your explanation around the curiosity and audacity is really meaningful. And I think people will get a lot out of that. So thank you. And I'd love to understand what was the catalyst for you to write your book, Act Before You Overthink? So how this book came along, that's a funny story. So I had been coaching for a few years and one evening, one of my mentors ask me about what is a common denominator among your clients? And I really never thought about it. For me, each of the people I worked with was unique in their own way. I work with people from different backgrounds, so like a 50-year-old ex-CTO in Australia or a 25-year-old woman based in China. But he was really, really persistent. And so I just gave in. I say... They think too much. Uh, They are too much in their heads. And then he started smiling at me and he told me, Lison, good. Now, write a book about this. (laughs) Just that easy. (laughs) And at first I was like, what? Writing a book about that? No way I could write a book. You know, I'm a coach. I can't be an author. So I didn't take the advice too seriously. But it got me curious. That was the first step. Being curious is the first step to get outside of your comfort zone. I got curious about this pattern I could see in everyone's mind, you know, about thinking too much. And now I call it overthinking. And I wanted to know more about it. So I did a lot of research, you know, with the psychological literature and behavioral science. And that was kind of starting to be boring. I was like, I'm going to ask directly to people. And so I decided to interview overthinkers. And I also decided to interview a lot of them because I think that's where my engineering background kick in, where I was like, okay, I want to have enough data in order to get enough valid you know, conclusion. So over a year, I ended up interviewing more than 365 people. And frankly speaking, you know, after 200 interviews, I already had a strong body of work, of evidence that overthinking was really, really toxic for our mental health, for our physical health, and also like many other aspects of our life 
like our cognitive abilities, our decision making. But because of those interviews, I could see as well that people didn't take it very seriously. You know, it, people constantly downplay the effect of overthinking. And that point built my conviction to write a book because I was not okay with that. And when you have the conviction, when you know why you must do something, we can be audacious. So knowing that people were not taking overthinking seriously and the damage it could do over time, you know, was a catalyst for me to write the book because I hope it can help people now. And that's how I stepped into the unknown of writing and publishing a book. I faced my fears, my doubts, and did it. And having the conviction it what helped me the most. I think when people know why they do something and it matches with their value, it's light up a fire inside us. You know, this fire is so strong and it gives us the strength to do something we would never have thought we could do. Yes, I love that story. You speak with such passion about it. I'm looking forward to delving into this now. So can you share with us that what is the one of the most common types of overthinking? So I detect after my research six different types of overthinking. And I think one of the common type of overthinking is tied with perfection. And I call this type of overthinker the maximizer. The maximizer, they want to achieve a perfect outcome. They want the best outcome. And that will bring them to consume too much information. They want to know what is the best flat to buy, the best presentation to make, the best technology to buy, uh, the best career path to follow. And to illustrate this in the book, I have an, an illustration. So, of course, it's a bit harder with a podcast, but... It's a picture of a possum. So a possum is a big rodent. And this possum broke into a bakery in Australia. And it is sitting in an empty carton box. And you can see like it ate all the patisseries that were in different box. Like maybe he ate like dozen of dozen of them. And in the picture, he's sitting on his back. His belly has tripled from his normal size, it looks completely defeated. It cannot move anymore. And at first, Julie, the picture looks funny. But when we realized that this poor possum, in fact, was unable to control itself, you know, it almost killed itself because it ate too much. And here is the thing. Maximizers are like our poor possum. <laughs> You know, in a way that they don't eat too much patisserie, but they over-consume information. They spend so much time and effort thinking and analyzing information. They binge on information because they have the belief that the more information they have, the better the outcome will be. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen so many people... Mm -hmm. do that it's always you know when things are just never good enough you know we can never go to market because we're not good enough and of course that holds people back really badly yeah and what we need to highlight for people that are listening to us on this one it doesn't need to work that way you know more is not always best because you know the maximizer they can often 
end up being overwhelmed by the amount of information they have accumulated. I think you, you can see they fall into what is called analysis paralysis. Yeah. They have so many moving parts everywhere that they are unable to fit them together and come up with a decision or a choice. Mm. Yeah. And that's impacting them and as well other. And I see that happening a lot in companies between colleagues. In companies, you have a team and this team can be like a basketball team as they are like basketball players. And a team pass them the ball and they freeze because they analyze what is best to do. Should they dribble? Should they pass? Should they shoot? There are so many parameters going on into their head that they don't play. They freeze. Or they will play so slowly that the momentum is lost. Now, if this keeps on happening, do you want to keep playing with this person? If every time you pass the ball, the person freezes, they get stuck in their thoughts, and you lose an opportunity or nothing happens. Do you want to keep playing with this person? Mm, that's a really, really good point. I mean, it's instinctly my answer, my competitive answer is uh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, don't want to be choosing that person to be on my team but yeah that's a really great analogy for people to think about in terms of their analysis paralysis like you say and their inability to move forward or make any kind of move whatsoever <laughs> even if it's sideways or backwards whatever it is but just staying the same way We are all leaders, but you cannot be a leader of others unless you are a leader of self first. Over the past two decades, I've empowered hundreds of leaders to deliver positive impact to the business they are representing, resulting in extraordinary sales growth and high staff retention rates. I'm often asked the question, how can I work with you, Julie? Here's how. I present one-hour keynotes to corporations, providing practical tools and strategies for leaders and their teams to take control of busy, to be intentional with their actions and achieve the high performance results that they're looking for. I also work one-on-one -on -one with a select few ambitious and courageous leaders who understand the key to creating their success starts with them. So if you'd like to connect, you can find me at juliehyde.com.au. What is one of the most common things that people do when they're overthinking and they shouldn't do that? <laughs> is there a tip that you can sort of give them to yeah. stop doing that? And in fact, can I share even more than one but three, Julie? Sure, yeah, that'd be yeah. awesome. So first thing overthinkers do when they catch themselves overthinking and want to stop it, they tell themselves, stop thinking about this. Mm. Don't think about this. So they try to suppress the thought they have, but that has the exact opposite effect. And psychologist Daniel Wegner demonstrated this through several social experiments, and he called it the ironic rebound. And would you like to experience it together, Julie? Mm. Okay. If I tell you, for the next two minutes, try not to think of a polar bear. You can think of everything else, but not a polar bear. Julie, it's really important you don't think about a polar bear. Okay? Don't think about a polar bear. Of course. All you can think about is the polar bear. 
Yeah, I can tell <laughs> what is happening now in everyone's mind. And so when we try to suppress this thought, we actually make them even more vivid in our mind. You know, they become front of mind and we can only think about that. And so that's exactly what we are doing when we are saying, okay, don't think about this uh, customer presentation or don't think about this awkward moment during your job interview. We try to kill the thought in our mind, but instead we are just reinforcing it, which makes us overthink more. Awesome. So that's the first thing. Yeah. Don't reinforce it. The second thing? Second thing is that overthinkers tend to repress their emotion due to their thoughts. So the thoughts are generating emotion and that can be stress, that can be anxiety or even anger. And rather than dealing with them, they lock the emotion inside and push, push it down. So it's like when you try to keep a beach volleyball under the water with your hand. At the beginning, it's fine. The beach volleyball is staying under the water. But as, after some time, you might not have enough strength anymore with your arm. And when that happens, the ball, it bursts out of the water. And many overthinkers are like this. They keep on piling all their negative emotion from their overthinking. And they keep that all inside. And this pressure keeps on increasing. And one day, they blow off. Okay. So don't suppress the emotion. And the last thing, so number three I noticed Some overthinkers, in fact, they will force themselves to be positive. So to counterfact, you know, maybe the emotions, they will go into toxic positivity. And of course, you know, by the way, nothing is wrong with trying to see the bright side of things or finding the silver linings. But when we use this idea uh, of like, oh, we should always and all the time be positive, this is toxic. Because there is some denying that, you know, as humans... There are moments where we can feel down or experience negative emotion. Nobody would go to a grieving uh, widow on the day she's burying her husband and tell her to be positive and she should smile. So negative emotions are part of what makes us human. It's okay to have them. It's completely normal. We can aim to be positive, upbeat and smiling, but it is unrealistic and even damaging to expect to be like that all the time. So rather than, you know, suppressing our thoughts, feeling or turning them into something they are not, we should instead try to better understand what is happening, acknowledging what we feel that this is happening, you know, and work from there on how we can be better managing those thoughts and emotions. They're really, really good tips. So when we tell ourselves not to overthink it, mm-hmm. so we say, okay, so don't overthink this, so don't tell yourself not to do it. What is a really quick thing that we could do instead? Like what, should we change our thought completely? Should we go off and do something else, take ourselves out for a walk? What exactly, Julie, like going for a walk, so changing your environment will be the best one. And if you can go, uh, if you can be outdoor, because it's been uh, demonstrated that walking outdoor will help you to get some yeah. perspective. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. So, Lisson, how do we make a hard choice without overthinking it? And I actually loved 
what we spoke about in terms of like the hard choice doesn't have to be a hard choice like about making a house. A hard choice can be what to choose from the dessert menu. (laughs) Uh, So could you give us some quick tips as to how we can make a hard choice without overthinking it? Yeah, yeah. So let let me yeah give some more like some definition for for people to to get up to speed. So I have people that tell me, oh, I have two job offers and I don't know which one to go mm. for. Oh, you know, I don't know if I want children. And of course, you know, those decisions are important. You know, they have a lot of consequence uh, for our future. But yes, there might not be hard choice because I met people that from day one, they know they wanted children. So it's an easy choice for them. Or some people, they know they want to be a firefighter or a nurse. So that is not a hard choice for them. And as you mentioned, Julie, for me, a hard choice, as silly as it might sound, is when I'm at the restaurant, I have to choose between two desserts, like creme brulee or chocolate fondant. I love them both, and I always hesitate. It's really hard for me to decide. But whether I choose one or the other, that has no impact you know, on my life. So it is true that a decision that carries a lot of consequences might be a hard one, but it is not always true. And this idea was explored and developed by um, an Oxford professor, Ruth Chang, and she explained it in her TED talk. She said that what makes a hard choice is that we cannot choose between two options because we are unable to find out which one is the best. It's like when we try to evaluate two job offers. So we make a list of pros and cons to see if one is better than the other. But when we finish this list, we still don't know. Both options look good. We cannot say which one is better. So we assume they are equal. But then if two options are equal, then Improving one by a little should make it a clear winner. Like, you know, we cannot decide between two job offers because we see them as equally good. And so if one of the company come back to us and increase our annual package by $1,000, that should make it a clear winner, right? But in fact, in reality, that's not the case. A $1,000 increase on a yearly salary is unlikely to help us choose. What's happening here is that the options are on the par. And when we face a choice with on the par options, that's a hard choice. In this case, rationality and analysis won't help us. But many people try again and again and again to find out a rational, purely logic-based solution. And they end up overthinking incapable to choose. So we have to change our approach when we face a hard choice. And a really easy way to do this is to explain your choice to a friend. So you explain them the thing without too much details, you know, and all the implication of your decision. You just give them enough context to understand. Like you spend two minutes max explaining to them the choice you have to make. Most of the time, they will immediately come up with a decision. Like, oh, that's abuse. You should choose this one. Yeah. That's when they're not emotionally 
involved in that decision that can make it easier. Yes. And also, they know what is best for you because you are good friends. They are close to you. And they will tell you, oh, it's because you are like this. Or, oh, it's because you have this character. And, you know, in fact, what they will do unconsciously is finding one of your highest value. You hold deep down onto you and mm. they will use it to make a decision. If it's choosing a job between a startup or a large corporation, they will say, oh, that's obvious, Lison, pick the startup one. You always love freedom. Yeah. Or it yeah. Could be, oh, that's obvious, Lison, pick the corporate one. You are so organized and you always thrive in well-organized structure. Yeah. So to make a hard choice without overthinking, we need to have a mindset shift. We need to shift from an outcome-based approach where we try to compare the value of each option to a value-based approach where we select the option that aligns the most with our core values. That makes so much sense, Lizanne. And I think that's a really awesome note to end on. I mean, I could speak to you for days on this, I think. And what I'll do is in the show notes, I will share the link for people to get your book and to tap into your wisdom on your website. So thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your wisdom for encouraging people to be curious and audacious and for making it count for so many. So thank you, Lison. Thank you, Julie. Love your work. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode and I trust that you enjoyed leaning into one of the precious moments shared. I invite you to leave your thoughts as a review in support of this show. You can also share with your network and even rate and review it. I would appreciate that feedback and connection. I'd love to connect on LinkedIn or Instagram via my handle, Julie Hyde Leads. Until next time, live and lead intentionally and make it count. Oh,